How you doing? For those who don't know me, my name is Mark Involmi, and I get the privilege of serving as one of the elders of Gospel Fellowship, alongside Pastor Rodney, Nahum, Seth, and Sam, and I consider that an honor. Okay, I um, want to start off with a quick story. There was a young guy, an aspiring pastor. Uh, he was in seminary, and he, him and his wife, they were newly married. They had one child, and he wanted to seek out some side employment to just, you know, help out financially. So he got a job at a warehouse working overnight, the graveyard shift. But when he started, he noticed that the guys at the warehouse would do this thing to where, like, um, instead of working, one or two would be unloading the truck, and the rest of them would just sleep for about seven hours, and then they'll rotate, and then, and then, and then after that, they'll pretend they all worked 40 hours a week. So when he came on board, they told him what they were doing here, and they were telling him this is your night, but then I was like, oh, you know what, I'll pass. I'll just work every night. I don't want to be a part of this. So they're like, forget you. So some nights, just to like um, make it difficult for this new guy who started, they would purposely not work at all or pretend they were working to have him unload the truck most, um, pretty much by himself. What the guys didn't know was that the supervisor was randomly coming in throughout the night to check on him, and he would see on the cameras, these guys are asleep. So he let a couple weeks go by. He didn't say anything, and he kept seeing this young guy faithfully and diligently working every, every, every night that he was working, never complaining, didn't care if the other guys were just looking at him, almost mocking him, uh, but he was just faithfully doing his work. So one day the supervisor called him in, and the supervisor was like, um, I've noticed that the guys were sleeping. Why haven't you taken a part of that? And he was like, I don't know. I just felt like it was the wrong thing to do. And, and then they gave him a platform where he started saying, you know what? I'm a Christian. I, it didn't sit well with me to do that. So I just said, you know what? Uh, I'll pass. I'll just do my regular 40 hours a week. And the guy said, okay. So the guy said, the supervisor said, this is what I'll do. Um, as of today, you are now the supervisor of them, and I've been promoted to manager, and they all have to submit to you, and it comes with a pay raise. So now those same guys who were mocking him, they had to... Um, work under his leadership and because the, the the now manager who used to be the supervisor exposed all of this they could no longer sleep at night because now they knew they were being watched and that young guy went on to do a lot of great things you might have heard of him his name is dr tony evans okay that was my intro <laughs> turn to your devices or if you still have an actual bible to first peter chapter 2 Verses 11 through 25. You there? Still scrolling? Okay. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exile to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against his soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor that's sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, 
not only to the good in general, but also to the unjust. For this is the gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjust, unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is the gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just the opportunity and privilege to preach. Not so much so I could hear myself, but I get to speak these truths and to, and to just let people know of how much you love, him, love them, God, in spite of where they may be at in life. Speak through me, God. Allow me to say the hard things that I may be afraid to say, but you want me to say. Show me where to be gracious, but at the end of the day, help me do justice to your word and to not deviate from it. We love you and we praise you. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Okay, before I jump into this, I need three volunteers, so they already know they're coming up here. I need Jackie, I need uh, Pastor Rod, and I need Seth. Yeah, give it up for him. I like how y'all clapping for yourself. So, Rod, you're going to be on this end. Seth, just right here. And Jackie, you'll be in the middle. So, this is what I wanted you guys to see. Seth is going to represent the passions of the flesh. The things we love that feel good, that look good, that taste good, but they may not always be good for us spiritually. My man Jackie here is going to be God. And Pastor Rod is going to be good works. All right? So, I'm hanging out with my passion of the flesh. I'm enjoying I'm living it up. So, um, and me living it up, if you notice what's happening to me, uh, I'm just, um, you know, I'm hanging out. I enjoy my passions of the flesh. I do church sometimes. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I accepted God, but um, it's just me. It's just some things I do. It's just some things I do. And before I know it, before I know it, I can't stop. I keep coming back. Um, I want to stop. I want to do the Jesus thing, but I can't. But this is what religionists say. Religionists say, skip God, go to good works, and pretend I'm free. I'm do yeah, yeah, I'm doing good work, but inside I'm bound and my heart is all jacked up. Right? So, I know I just started. We're going to get into this. So I'm hanging out with the passions of the flesh. Long as I desire it, I don't want to be free, and I'm enjoying being in bondage, enjoying being in a sin. Although I profess Christ as my Savior, there's no freedom, there's no power. My witness is a joke. Nobody's seen the power of God in my life. It's not until I start looking at God and I start saying, you know what, God, um, there's more to this. Because when, when I read the beginning of verse 11, Peter is urging us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now that word, not the word said he's urging us. Peter's not saying, 
um, you know what, Markin, uh, I think you should stop that. He's urging us. He's pleading with us. The, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Apostle Peter because he knows if we hang around the passions of our flesh long enough, we can't do anything God's calling us to do. We're, we're going to do it whole, half-heartedly because we're bound, we're in shackles. But as I make a desire, and this is what repentance looked like, it's not, I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me, God, forgive me, God. Repentance says I'm going to do a 180 turn. I'm going to look at God and say, God, will you take me with all my chains, please? I'm tired of living like this. Could you change my heart? I want to hate what I love. It's killing me, God. I can't do this anymore. I need you. I'm weak. The world can't do it, but you can. I've tried everything, every 10-step, 12, 19-step program. Nothing's setting me free. I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you to help me. So now that God set me free, this is the power of the gospel, I'm free to do good works. Good works don't save me, but good works is an exemplif exemplified that I've been free and I'm really saved. So now I could do the good works because I'm not in shackles anymore and I don't have to fake it. I don't have to be one way around one crowd and another way around another crowd. Christ has set me free to do what he's called me to do for his glory. Thank you, gentlemen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, uh, Peter's informing us also to remember that this world is not our home. Uh, Peter refers to us as exiles and sojourners. But before I get into that, I want to recap a little bit about what the last couple of weeks in this series, the different series that Pastor Rodney's been speaking about, um, different. Every week he's been talking about a different aspect of what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Um, we might look alike. We might be in the same company all the time. But there should be a marker spiritually that sets us apart from the world. And, the three, and my topic for today is called a different respect. And my three points that I want to highlight today are, number one, I kind of gave you a quick visual of it, soul wars. Number two, um, submitting, to, submitting to government. And point number three is submitting at work. I know the last two points sound very difficult. But, you know, if you're not, submitted to Christ first, you can't submit to the other two. It's pretty much impossible. So Peter, like I said earlier, he was informing us, uh, he was reminding us that this world is not our home. That's why he refers to us as exiles. And just to give you a little background information, um, uh, this, at this time, there are uh, the Jewish people, the diaspora, the, they're scattered all over modern-day Turkey, and they're pretty much being... Um, they're, pre they're, pretty much, they're pretty much being persecuted for their faith. But yet, Peter's telling us to submit to these other authority figures that are helping us in this, that are helping to cause this. And Peter's done a great job of telling us in the previous chapters, in the previous series, of how to live in light of Scripture. But now, in this chapter, chapter 2, he's challenging, challenging us to be a witness. Um, not, in, not witness as far as walking up to a stranger and just giving the narrative of the gospel, but our lifestyle should be speaking much louder about how we conduct ourselves and how we relate to other people, how we relate to government, how we relate at the workplace. Pretty much when we're out and about, you, you may not know it, but your, your life is always on display for the glory of God, wh whether, you, whether you believe it or not. Um, and the way Peter's telling us to live, I want you to think of a traveling musician who's living out of a suitcase. They're in a hotel. They got their bags open. They put a couple things out, 
But when I'm a, if I'm a traveling musician and I'm in that hotel room, I'm not going to paint the walls. I'm not going to hang up pictures. I'm not going to say, you know what? Mm, this little fridge will look really nice over here. Oh, man, that looks nice. Because I know I'm probably here for one night, so I'm not going to get too comfortable. I'm going to be living out of my suitcase. And in a way, for the Christian, that's almost how we have to live in this world. We can't get too comfortable. I mean, at the end of the day, your retirement plan, your 401k, your career goals, your dreams and aspirations, that's good, but that's only a blink of an eye compared to eternity. So don't get too comfortable in this life and putting aside what God's calling you to do. You, we have this small amount of time. Even if you get lucky, you, say, you eat right, you work out, you live to be 80, 90 years old, that's still a blink in the eye compared to eternity. So, so God's calling us as believers and living different. Uh, the very thing he's called us to do, he wants us to do that for his glory. And that's why this first point, soul wars, is so important. Because you can't truly do what, God, what God's purpose you to do if, if, if you're not abstaining from the flesh. If you're in bondage, you know, you might rep the name of Christ, but if, if there's no freedom in your life, you won't be free to do what God's called you to do. And, and the in point two and three, as I start to talk about submitting to government and submitting to the workplace, uh, one thing I really want to hone in on is our response. Our response to these different institutions cannot be personal. It has to be biblical. We can't, we can't make it, oh, it's my mission. It's my mission to say how much I hate this person, to say how much I hate this organization. We have to remember what comes out of our mouth, how we conduct ourselves. People who are not Christians, they're watching us, and our life will reflect the gospel in a number of ways, whether we realize it or not. Um, the context of Peter's message in this chapter is on submission. I know a lot of times when you hear submission preached, it's usually in the context of marriage, husband and wife, or sometimes kids obey your parents. But this type of submission is pretty much Peter's calling us to submit to the different institutions um, within government in our walks of life. Um, and we see it in the opening verses, this, we see it in the different settings of relationship. Like I mentioned earlier in verse 11 through 12, um, when Peter's urging us to abstain from things, but what I love about whenever God's instructing us to do something, he never just tells us to stay away from something. He always has a better option. So Peter not only gives us things to abstain from, but he also, he also calls us to things in which we should embrace, namely our good works. We are called to, be, uh, we are called to uh, have honorable conduct, which is nothing less than our good deeds. Now, as I'm mentioning good deeds, I don't want you to think these good deeds have saved you. I'm not talking about works righteousness. But I am talking about if you're living in the freedom of Christ and doing what he's called you to do, those good works should be reflected. Because at the end of the day, what's in you, it'll spew out. All right? Um, in verse 13, Peter, he's writing when he, when he mentions the emperor, when he mentions a different institution, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that's really our form of government. Now, I know a lot of times you hear the word government, we, we initially just shoot straight to the top, uh, the presidency, uh, the Senate, the House. But it's not just that, it's all government figures. Oh, man, I jumped in my, two, my second point. Look at my transition. I didn't even tell you guys. So now to my second point, I'm going to talk about government. See, I wish I had a rewind button. So, so the first chapter, I talked about the wars that happened within us. Um, Peter's urging us to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war in our souls, right? Uh, and another way of saying this, I know a couple weeks ago, uh, um, Pastor Jeff spoke, it's really strongholds. You might hear this word in the Bible, but a lot of times when, when 
when you're engaged in passions of the flesh and it leads to an addiction you can't stop, it's nothing more than a stronghold. But later on as we transition to point two, which is submitting to government, uh, we, we see that uh, the things around us will affect how we respond to government, namely things like uh, social media, uh, the personal traumas we've experienced, our family history, how we were, ra how we were raised. Um, sometimes uh, our family history will raise us to do things a certain way. We never question it. We never stop to think like, is this even biblical? Or I'm just doing this because my family does this, you know? All of those things will dilute us in some form of fashion and affect how we respond to these tough institutions. Because what Peter's asking us to do in this chapter is not easy. And you can't do it without God's grace. So in submitting to government, um, I want to talk about the guy who was in charge during uh, Peter's reign. His name was um, King Nero. King Nero was, he wasn't left wing. He wasn't right wing. He wasn't independent. This dude was just evil. This dude would feed Christians to wild dogs, lions, you name it. Um, it, was, it was his hobby to go out and kill Christians. He would do something at night because back then they didn't have porch lights. He'll bury Christians waist deep, take off their, their shirts, grease them up in oil, and light them up as candles at night just for the fun of it and just laugh with his, with his contemporaries because he just thought it was a joke. This guy was just evil to the core. Um, historians, uh, cr Christian historians say they believe at the time he was king, he, he, he set the city on fire just to have an excuse to blame it on the Christians so he could have a reason to kill them. He, he just absolutely hated Christians, but yet... We see Peter telling us to submit the government during an era where he's, uh, he's, he's, he's under this guy's reign and rulership. In our context today, 2019, what would that look for us? Look like for us? It'll look like us submitting to um, local mayors, city officials, governors, senators, and presidents. Um, and I'm going to break down what I mean by submitting, because I'm not telling you to agree with these governmental officials. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you might not even like their policies. You might not even like how their things are being ran. But in, in the context of what Peter's telling us, he's asking us to submit and honor the office, to respect the office. That's what he's saying. Um, and the governors during Peter's reign, it was a guy, you know this guy if you ever read the Gospels, Pontius Pilate. He's the one who gave the order for Jesus to be crucified. And later on after him was a guy named Felix. All, what all three of these guys had in common, like I mentioned earlier, they all hated Christians. Why would Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be telling us during this era to submit to these rulers? And mind you, we all know Peter's history. Peter had a temper. So how can Peter be telling us to do this? And I'm sure early on in his life, it was a struggle for him. The reason Peter's telling us to do this, and I'm glad you asked me that question, is that in verse 15, um, Peter writes, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Anyone in here ever met a foolish person? The worst thing you could do is get into a back and forth with them. You're, wa you're wasting your time. You're, you're wasting your time. And Peter recognized this, you know, and Peter's also not saying to be apathetic to where, as a believer, you have no voice in things that affect you personally in government. By all means, when you see injustices, the gospel calls us to speak against it, to speak on, to speak on how it doesn't line up to, to the heart of Christ. But at, but at the end of the day, Peter says our good conduct 
would speak so much louder to these foolish individuals. Okay, let's unpack uh, this word submission. But before I do, um, I also want to say another area of how um, we put to silence foolish people. Not just government, but just, just our modern day society. We live in a culture where um, when a, it's weird. We're, Christianity is probably the only faith that gets this bad rap. Like if I was Buddhist, if I was Confucius, uh, for example, if I'm Muslim and a Muslim guy does something crazy, you never hear nobody say, that's why I can't stand these Muslims. Look at them. They all the same. Or if I'm a Buddhist and um, I do something wrong and I get arrested or I just make a complete idiot of myself, a moral failure, you never hear the response that say, man, all those people who worship Confucius, they the same way. Look at them. That's why I don't do them anyway. But when it comes to the Christian, when that one messes up, they think we're all like monolithic, like we all just do the same thing, like we're robotic like we have no individuality to ourselves. They put us all in a category. That's why I do those Christians anyways. Look, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. They're all the same way. I love how Pastor Rodney broke it down the other week. It's not the fact that Christians are hypocritical. It's the fact we're all hypocritical. Because when McDonald's messes up your order, you still come back, don't you? Just, just be honest. You don't say, that's why I don't do them anyway. I'm never coming back. You go to another McDonald's, that put your cheese, have your cheese the right way, have your fries nice and hot, you do. Or if, if, the, if your, your cable company messes up on something or charges you extra, you might be mad at the moment, but you pay that bill every month. But when it comes to Christians, we expect perfection. And of course, that's where we have to come in and, and explain to them rightly what the gospel is and the doctrine of sin and how we're all broken because of the fall and desperate need of God's grace. Um, so I just wanted to point that out that this is all the more reason Peter's writing is why we need to model our good works. Because people like, their defenses are up. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for the next Christian to mess up so they could be like, see, look at that. Just a couple months ago, I don't know if you guys were following the news, there were two major uh, Christian figures. One, um, Joshua Harris, years ago, he wrote a book, Kiss and Dating Goodbye. And another guy who was one of the worship leaders for um, one of the Hillsong groups, they went on social media and publicly explain why they're no longer Christians. I wish they would have just done it in the living room and not went on social media because all those followings, all of those people that the book of Timothy talked about that are not rooted in their faith, they're being led astray be, be, because of that. And, and this is all the more reason why our good works have to stand because we have to put to silence those foolish people. Now, let's unpack this word submission. I don't submit out of government out of fear, and I'm talking from the Western culture. I know in some other countries, you say something wrong about the government, you, that might be your last day being alive. But I'm talking about in our context in America. I'm not submitting to government like, oh, my taxes may go up. Let me not, let me not say nothing mean. God's saying don't be motivated by fear to do the right thing because at the end of the day, you're not giving him glory. You're just doing it out of fear. But on the other spectrum, I'm not, like if my favorite political figure's in office, I'm not worshiping them like they're the second coming of Christ. I'm not saying, oh, this the man, he going to get it right. He going to get it. If that was the case, remember the time and era Jesus walked on this earth. You remember who was running things? The Romans. They, they were oppressing the Jewish people. How, and, and at the time, what they wanted Jesus to do, they wanted Jesus to just like um, set up his earthly kingdom now and get rid of Roman oppression. But Jesus had a greater kingdom in mind. So I just want you all to see like worshiping political figures, you're going to be disappointed because at the end of the day, 
there, we're all broken in sin. We all have issues. I don't care who your favorite political party is. If you dig deep enough, you're going to find a lot of flaws in them because we're humans and we're all sinners in desperate need of God's grace. And, and, all, and also, um, the proper way for me to submit to government is that I recognize as I honor the lower authority government, I'm honoring the higher authority, which is God. And another thing, this is really hard, even for me, I got to be honest. I'm also not submitting to government when I slander or I gossip about those in government figures. Mind you what I mentioned earlier, this could be anyone. It could be your local city councilman. I don't want you to just think the White House or the Senate or the House of Representatives. It could be the local mayor of Buoyant Beach, and no matter who it is, um, why am I not submitting to government when I slander or gossip? Remember, people all around us have different perspectives of Christians. There are those who've left the church because of church hurt. There are those who have these preconceived notions about us that are false. And what you think is going to happen when they see us acting in that manner? What you, th what you think we're doing with our witness when people see us talking about other people in a negative light? They, might, they, they may be thinking, and, and he called himself a Christian? And that's how he's talking about people? That, that's how she talks about people? Remember, guys, stuff like this hurts our witness. We're always being watched if we represent Christ, wh whether, we, whether we believe it or not. Um, and another thing in submitting the government, submitting the policies, things that are put into place where if you break them, it could probably lead to you getting arrested or being fined in some shape or fashion. We have to submit to that, but the caveat to that is as long as it does not interfere with my obedience to Christ. That's the catch. I'm going I'm to respect government figures and the things that government's calling me to do. I'm going to give you a great example of that. Two weeks ago, Democratic presidential candidate, I know I'm going to jack his name up, Beto O'Rourke? O'Rourke? Yeah, that guy right there, Beto, I call him B. I call him B. So let me tell you what M Mr. B did. Mr. B was doing a town hall meeting, um, and he was asked, and at the town hall meeting, he said, if he's elected president of the United States, um, religious institutions should lose their tax exemption status if they oppose same-sex marriage. I'll just let that marinate a little bit. So now you as a Christian, you got a decision to make. If this guy's elected president, do I... Submit to that, or do I go to this old antiquated book that don't really apply to 2019 no more, talking about marriages between one man and one woman? Do I submit to that? So if you're representing Christ, these hard decisions are going to come up because the culture we're living in, the pressure is only going to intensify. I love to tell you things will get better, things will get better and lighter if we pray hard enough. But remember what I told you, we just passed them by. This ain't our home. Spiritually, we're just living through a suitcase. So don't expect things to get better on this end. Um, it'll get better on the next end in heaven. And I know that sounds a little depressing, but there's hope. There's hope in the midst of all that. I just want to quickly read a passage in Mark chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. You can just follow with me. Verses 13 through 17. Um, this is the context of this is Jesus and the Pharisees are doing what they do every day. They wake up with a mission and see how they could get Jesus. Um, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are, we know that you are true and that no, and, and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, 
but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or, or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and description is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So I want to ask you this morning, Gospel Fellowship, whose inscription are you imaging? Is it Caesar's or is it God's? And we all have to answer this as believers. Um, I believe we could, we, could, we could honor both. But at the end of the day, when one gets into conflict with our honor to God, that's when we have to make a decision. We have a difficult decision to make. Earlier I mentioned Peter took a while to get to this place. By the time he ri he's writing um, the book of 1 Peter, it must be around the time of um, 65, 69 AD. He's probably well into his 80s, right? So um, remember, remember who Peter was, although he denied Jesus three times. Peter was this guy, you could tell he wasn't raised in the church. Peter would cuss, Peter would be quick to react. He was very impulsive. So, and also that night Jesus was betrayed. It was a, it was a soldier named Malchus when they were trying to arrest Jesus, Peter sliced the dude's ear off. Luckily, Jesus was there. He reattached it with his, with his power. But this guy, wasn't no hearing aid back then, so he would have been out of luck. But, um, but decades later, we see Peter, um, something changed. Of course, with old age, hopefully a lot of time there comes wisdom. So at this time, you can tell in Peter's writing, writings, he's much wiser. Um, and he traded in his sword for um, retribution for the sword of God's word. And Peter recognized that God's word could cut deeper than he could ever to any political leader. If Peter took a while to get to, to this place, what about us? So what he's calling us to do in 1 Peter to submit the government authorities, remember what I said earlier, he's not saying that we should agree with him. But at the end of the day, as believers, how can we submit to government and also express how we honestly feel about something respectfully while not, while not hurting our witness as believers? That is what Peter's calling us to do. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the only way you can submit to government is when you first submit to God. Um, really, submission in any area of your life, whether it's your marriage, whether it's um, to your job, whether it's just in anything in your daily walk. If you haven't first submitted to God, you're going to struggle with that in some, some form of fashion. Uh, so we have to remember God is the higher authority and every other institution established on earth is the lower authority. So as we submit to those lower authorities, we're submitting to God. And then leading to my third point, another submission place I want to talk about is where I, you, I would hear a lot of conflict. Submitting at work. Anyone want to just be honest or is it just me or is it just, this a struggle for you? Just me? I'm the only one honest about this? So everyone has, everyone's happy on Monday. Everyone's excited to go to work 8, 9 a.m. Monday morning, right? That must be what the, what the case is. Because if not, then there has to be a struggle with submitting at work, right? Um, but Peter calls us to do this. He calls us to submit in the workplace. Um, and we hear the terms in verse 18 as Peter's talking. He's saying uh, to, he used the term service. I just want to add a little context to this. Um, whenever you see the word servants and masters in its context, it's not talking about slavery. 
So don't think about the transatlantic slave trade um, four, four to 500 years ago where African Americans were sent on over here. That's not the context of what that's talking about. A lot of times people who don't properly explain the Bible, they see those words in there and they're quick to say the Bible condone, the, the Bible condones slavery. Um, that's, that's false. That's a lie. Um, Jesus, will, God will never co-sign to that type of work. But the proper context of this word serving the master is, I want you to think about, in the Greek it's translated to mean the word um, someone who's employed as a manager or a helper. So think about it in this context. Uh, you find this incredible grant to go to med school on, and the grant says, you know what? If you work in the inner city hospital for the next five years, we'll, we'll pay off your med school. You can go to med school for free. So think about it along those contexts when he's, re when he's referring to them as servants and masters, almost to where, like, there's a reciprocity there to where, like, um, you're working, you're doing something, but in return, there's an incentive in the end. Um, so that's the context of when Peter's referring to the word servants and masters. Peter instructs us to be subjected to our employers even if they are crooked. That's true. Now, I'm not saying as Christians you should take part in it, right? I, I'm not saying um, God's just going to turn aside and say, okay, they're doing something crooked. Just turn a blind eye. Just roll with the punches. You need a paycheck, right? That's not what the Scripture's saying. But the Scripture's saying you're not submitting to your employer based off their attitude, based on how they act. Um, and I get it. I'm sure a lot of y'all in here, you have legitimate reasons to not like who you work for, right? Be because of the how, they, how they treat you, how they may mistreat another co-worker, um, things that you've seen them do that was dishonest. So we all have a plethora of reasons why we wouldn't want to submit to the workplace. Some of you guys are probably just like, man, I just, it's not really my boss. I just hate my job. I'm just looking for a plan B. And uh, when I find a plan B, then um, I'll be happier. You know, may maybe that's the case, you know. But at the end of the day, but nonetheless, God wants us to submit in spite of. And the workplace, a lot of times, God, when you think, guys, when you think about full-time ministry, don't think about someone up here at a pulpit um, exegeting the word of God. Your workplace is probably the best, the best ministry ground that you have where you're at nine to five. Think about it. You're around these people a lot of times more than your own personal family, right? Um, you get to learn everything about them. And there are people there. I'm sure you hear stories. They're struggling. They're going through things. And God's probably given us all in here countless opportunities to not just to give the full gospel message, but just the word of encouragement. You know, and people will watch us and be like, oh, so-and-so, why are you always so joyful? Like, what's going on? Why do you always seem like there's a calmness about you? And it could give you an opportunity to just let people know, it ain't it's not really me. It's this guy named Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about him. God will give you those opportunities, you know. And he's so creative on how he does it. It won't be, you know, a lot of times we're rehearsing our mind. Oh, this time I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to walk up. I'm going to talk, talk about this. And it never works, right? It's like that guy who likes the girl in middle school, when he already wrote a script, how he's going to ask it to, to homecoming. It never works. You know, God is, God is really cool. He's a gentleman. He's going to work it into your regular personality, how to engage that person at work. But you're going to hurt your witness to engage that person when you're not submitting at work properly, when you're gossiping about your bosses, when you're gossiping about other coworkers, when you're mistreating people. When, when, you know, because at the end of the day, people are always watching. 
that when you're, when you're ready to tell them something encouraging or what they shouldn't be doing, they'll be thinking in the back of my mind, how can you tell me this when every day I see you do that or do this? Remember, guys, it'll hurt our witness. Um, and if you're not working, um, your contact can be school. If you're a student and you're not working and you're in school full time, um, submit at school. Um, don't wait to the day of to cram or, or, or to just half-step in it, because at the end of the day, you're still honoring Christ at school. Um, an example of this, submitting at work, we see this in the life of Joseph. For those of y'all who don't know the story, this is a guy, uh, I won't get, it's a long story, but it takes about like eight, nine chapters at, toward the end of the book of Genesis. But pretty much he's sold into slavery. He starts working uh, to the, to the, in this guy's house named Potiphar. Um, Potiphar's gone a lot, but he has a lot of work, a lot of servants. He has his wife, who's kind of thirsty. She sees young Joseph. He looks good, and she's like, ooh, ooh, who's that? You know, and, and mind you, at the time, in the context, that Joseph is a slave. It's not like he said, you know what, woman, uh, get away from me. Sexual harassment, I'm out of here. He can't go anywhere. He's a slave. He has to work there, right? So every day, this woman is telling Joseph, lie with me. And Joseph's like, what's wrong with you? Leave me alone, woman. But every day, she keeps coming back, keeps coming back, and saying the same thing. And eventually, to the point he runs out the house, she has his coat. And she lies on him and said he tried to um, sexually assault her, and it lands Joseph in prison. Um, but the point of me bringing up that story, he tried his best, as weird as it seemed in that story, to submit in his workplace until physically he couldn't even do it anymore. He just had to run off, you know, because um, he could have just taken matters to his own hand, pushed her off, went to her husband and said, hey, you have a crazy wife. You, you need to take care of home, man. She tripping. But he tried, he tried his best to keep the peace until, he could, until it landed him in jail for doing the right thing. Because that's the thing, guys. When, when Peter's writing this, asking us to submit to these other um, institutions, it doesn't always come with a benefit. Don't think because you submit at work, it, there's a guarantee in Scripture you're not going to get fired. You're not going to get written up. Sometimes it'll still happen. I'll give you a little story about my wife. Um, it recently happened to her. She was working for um, an agent, uh, a, a agency that contracted at the hospital for about three years. And um, they, um, they started doing some things that were unethical. And my wife, her career, she's a um, nurse practitioner. So she has um, a license to think of. And they were doing some unethical things that I was like, you know what? This could put your, your license at risk. You work very hard for this. And we prayed about it. And we just felt like the Lord was telling us uh, to resign. So I told her, I think you should resign. And she thought about it for a while, and she was a little bit uh, apprehensive about it. But when she saw how difficult the situation was, she resigned. She, she walked away. And um, I love to tell you, oh, because we did God's work, oh, two days later, we got a phone call. We're still waiting for that phone call. There's no plan B. But at the end of the day, the reason we have so much joy, we recognize God is our source, man is our resource. The job can change, but at the end of the day, we recognize the God who, who, who deals the hands to everyone he, he's, up, um, he's upstairs. He's in full control. He's sovereign. So we know at the end of the day, anything we let go of, God has something better. That's why we could do this without feeling like, oh, let me just sit here, be unethical, be quiet, be a believer. Uh, God don't understand. No, we figure at the end of the day, although it's a difficult decision, we want to honor God um, over honoring man. And we still felt, even in my wife resigning, um, she still honored her workplace. Because at least somebody took a stand and said, you know what? The money's great, but it's not worth it. 
I'm out of here. All right. Um, in verses 19 and 20, um, it says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So when God calls us to make these difficult decisions in submitting, it's a gracious thing in his sight, you know. So just remember, at the end of the day, every decision we make, no matter what institution or person God's calling, to, calling us to submit to, we have to keep in the back of our mind, are we honoring God? Because the reason it's a gracious thing is that um, our, our good works is modeling something called authentic graciousness. In 1 Peter 5, verse 12, you don't have to turn there, Peter also wrote that the true grace of God is revealed when Christians are treated unfairly, but we stand firm in tribulation by displaying good conduct and acting honorably. Uh, in God's eyes, God's believers are made much of. We're made much of in this world when we behave in this manner. It pleases God. Even at the end of the day, you get no benefit. Just know God smiling down on you. I, I, I would love to tell you in preaching this sermon, you, you do these things, uh, God will take care of you. If you submit at work, a couple days go by, you go in the mailbox, there's a check in the mail. I'll let it tell you, submit the government, IRS will give you a break next time there's tax returns. But I don't know. It might never work in your favor, but just remember at the end of the day, God will be pleased by what you're doing. And later on in verses um, 22 through 25, uh, Peter wrote, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He's talking about Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were slain like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Um, by the time Peter's writing this much later in life, it almost seems like he's recanting. Like, this is a complete 180 from the guy who, who um, pretty much denied Jesus three times. When, pe when people were asking him, um, I knew you, you were with Jesus. Um, he's to the place when he's writing these verses where he's fully trusted the judgment of Christ over that of politics, work, and influential circles. And, and to trust God's judgment, we have to get to a place to where, like, our, our expectation is heaven. You look at a guy like the Apostle Paul, the reason he was so sold out for God, and he, when he had that road to Damascus experience, um, he had a heavenly trajectory. As we keep a heavenly aim, submitting to these other earthly institutions, it'll still be hard, but we'll do it with a lot more grace. We'll do it with a lot more attitude, because we'll remember we're spiritually living out of the suitcase. We're that traveling musician. This world is not our final resting place. This is not our home. God's calling us as a believer to a higher standard, not just for the sake of doing it, but for the sake of the opportunity that it'll give us to witness. And I know this is not popular, but God uses these weird moments to do incredible things with our witness to those who may not be living for him. Um, and God judging rightly, guys, isn't based on my conduct. We see it in these verses I just read. But it's based on Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross. As he was dying, um, Jesus, you know, he didn't argue. He didn't fight back. There's one passage in the gospel where it says where he's saying, 
you know, he could just call his dad right now, and if God crack open with legions of angels, then he could just wreak havoc. But the reason he didn't, he stayed quiet, is that you were on his mind. I was on his mind. The situation this morning when I did that intro that you may be struggling with while you're sitting in the pews, he was thinking about that, and he realized I had a bigger agenda. I cannot respond out of my flesh. I cannot walk away because this is uncomfortable or it hurts. I have an entire generation of people, billions and billions of people years from now down the line that, are in, that will be in desperate need of a savior, and I'm thinking about them. And we have to have the same mindset, guys, when we're submitting to these other institutions. Um, Jesus is our model. We look at him. He submitted even when it wasn't convenient, it didn't feel right, but at the end of the day, he had a bigger goal in mind. But my question to you all this morning is, have you submitted to Jesus? Because until you've done that, you will always struggle with submitting to authority in some capacity. Now, I'm not saying if you go to church, I'm not saying if you read the Bible today, but I'm saying is God Lord, is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Um, granted, I know Jesus is God, but I want to use the name Jesus because in the context of 2019, we all have a lot of different definitions for the word God. So I'm talking about have you fully submitted to Jesus as Christ and Lord of your life? 